0: Hello and welcome to the NMA podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online reporter here at NMA, and today I'm joined by Charles Wormsley, news editor. Hi, Charles. Hi, Ollie. Jack Gilbert, senior reporter. Hi, Jack. Hi, Ollie. And later on, we'll be joined by Ian Horne, who's our UK head of audience development. We've got loads of news for you this week, but first up, what's hot and what's not? Well, It was hot on Sunday, really hot, especially for 40,000 people who were the ones running the London Marathon. Some CityWire staff were among them, as well as Sam Sloma from Engage Financial Services and Jeannie Boyle from EQ Investors. I'm sure there were many more of you, and well done to you all, of course. And you can read all about this and other charity endeavours your peers have been getting up to in our Charity Champions Gallery, which is now on our website. Now, moving on, Charles, what's not been hot this week?
1: Uh, A website called facebook.com never heard of it it. (laughs) yes so facebook uh, hasn't been hot for a while now um but this week we finally got a financial angle on it um money saving expert um is was founded by martin lewis uh, and he's still sort of seen as the go-to guy for deals and financial tips um so he's suing facebook for defamation because a string of fake adverts appeared on the uh, social media site mm-hmm. which basically offered people great returns mm-hmm. in return you know and but they used his image so they said martin lewis endorses this great you know property fund or this great uh, cryptocurrency mm-hmm. uh, and of course he hadn't um, a lot of these sites these things uh, People invested, sadly, their money disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, surprise,
0: surprise. Yes.
1: Um, so he's suing Facebook. But there was an interesting twist uh, when the, some publications reported this story. Um, not ours, because um, we don't use the software. But um, in those, uh, the advertising algorithm was throwing up the very same advertisements. So we had this ridiculous situation where The Guardian, um, which has led the way, with its coverage of Facebook and the growing scandal.
0: And it's very pro-consumer. It's very pro-consumer.
1: Was basically doing the same thing that Lewis was complaining about. So he had (laughs) adverts popping up saying, come invest in this, Martin Lewis says it's this money saving tip will get you 8% returns a a month. And obviously, again, he's now complained to them, told them to change their policy. Um, And I think it does point to a big problem with the internet and I think this case actually could go a lot further. Um, Have either of you ever downloaded your Facebook data? I I
2: have not done that. I've done it for Twitter but not for Facebook. Did you learn that on Twitter? Uh,
0: Well, I'd I'd had Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign uh, stuff Directed at me, or leaked emails, yeah. or <laughs> no, not not quite. I mean, I doubt whether I'd actually been. I'd be sat here right now if i had, if <laughs> yeah, I'd had that sent actually. to me. But um, yes, it was uncomfortable reading. But yeah. no, I haven't looked at the Facebook stuff.
1: Cause I I just thought I'd do that before I came in. Um, oh wow, you've and my, got the stuff. I've got my days so and my ads topics. And it's not that exciting, to be honest. Okay. It's a lot of stuff. Liverpool. Liverpool FC, FC appears about eight times. Surprisingly. Uh, Anfield on its own. And then Charles Prince of
0: Wales. So yes, this is what I was going to say. <laughs> there are some odd
1: ones which don't quite get me. I, Charles Prince of Wales, I'm assuming because of my name. But okay. I think I must like the Prince of Wales. Uh <laughs> Might be wrong in that, don't want to get too political. Um, Love, for some reason, Flower. Um, But my favorite is Trust Law, which is on there because uh, there's a great band I like called Trust Fund. uh, A DIY indie band, not much to do with Trust Law itself, so I'm surprised. So uh, maybe Facebook doesn't know that much about us, but what I would say is that because of my job, I get a lot of targeted adverts around the internet, so be it Google, um, I get a lot in Gmail, um, which is owned by Google, of course. Um, And it's about investments, and a lot of what I see is not the kind of stuff that Martin Lewis is suing Facebook for, um, promoting, because it's property bonds, guaranteed returns on these things, and of course cryptocurrencies, um, which I'm sure neither of you would recommend investing in. and I, I'm, I'm hoping that if Lewis wins this case, the, um, there could be some finally some regulation stopping it, um, because yeah, you know, I I know when I see this that I'm not going to invest in this partly because uh, I'm a journalist and a millennial living in London, i yeah, I'm <laughs> okay. paying enough rent, but um, also because I know this stuff isn't good. But if people are genuinely looking for financial advice, and these they're getting advertised by Google, these firms that, some, not all of them, but some of them can be questionable, you have to worry what's going to happen. Um, And I'm hoping that Martin Lewis will, if he wins this case, will make these companies, like Facebook, like Google, um, accept that they are publishers as well um, Mm -hmm. and they can't just promote every company who throws them some money there. If they were, a newspaper, if we were promoting these websites, we'd be in trouble, rightly yeah, so.
0: We'd have a responsibility yes. to our readers. and I
1: think Google and Facebook and those people need to accept that, um, particularly when it comes to finance, and people mm. are putting a lot of money into it. Um, I just want to add as well, we have GDPR PR coming in. Of course. We um, should hopefully uh, add some extra protections for people in the EU, which we Getting a lot are. of
0: emails at the moment. Yes. I'm yes sure. Definitely. One from one from an advice firm today, actually.
1: So, um, Yes, and hopefully that will add some protections. Um, although what Facebook has done is moved its profiles to the USA to avoid some of the more strenuous demands. Mm. So uh, Clever. we'll see on that. Um, and of course, it will—you'll be pleased to hear—still pay the ultra-low Irish corporation tax. It's rates. not moving; it's tax regime. No, it? just the stuff that would need more regulation. So,
0: the um, best of both worlds, then, really. Yeah, basically. In my script, there it says, uh, Oliver Smith and Charles warmly have brief outrage chatter. Um, But I think we've actually done that a lot of justice. So thanks for that, Charles. Um, One thing I want to ask you about you put in an FOI, Freedom of Information request, um, and you got an answer back from the FCA a little while ago. Tell us all about that. What was it to do with? Yeah,
1: I mean, you you say I got an answer back. Uh, I wouldn't (laughs) quite call it an answer. A Uh, quarter um, of an answer. Yeah. Um, but So the FCA, um, for those of you who aren't aware, has these bodies called practitioner panels. Uh, and they represent kind of the regulated firms to the regulator. Sure. Um, so the biggest one of these is made up of the likes of uh, SJP, Old Mutual Wealth, Aegon. Um, basically, all the big firms are on it or have some kind of representation. Um, so at the end of last year, uh, they had dinner with the FCA at the rather lovely sound in Spencer House, mm-hmm. which is one of London's most magnificent 18th century townhouses. Did you just quote that from the website? That is from the website, (laughs) Uh, not my own. I haven't been there, so. Um, But yeah, and I assume it's quite a nice meal they had. Um, But what we wanted to know is what they spoke about. Um, Just three months back and forth, as I alluded to, the FCA didn't really tell us anything. There's sure. Some big, some big names there. Some really, the some really big names. Um, David Bellamy, everyone you know, again. SJP, uh, Anne Richards from M and G. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Gerais from Aegon. Um, it's basically
2: a who's who of the financial advice investment. Yes. And well. the people, um, you know,
1: and the people who have an interest in how the market's being shaped and regulated at the They're moment. They're the ones that are really
2: affected by what the FCA does. You know, the, the asset yeah. management study, platform study. These reviews, th- these reviews have huge impacts on their, yeah. on their company's financial results. And they're the ones who are, who are answering to shareholders and answering to their yes. customers.
1: And you, what, what happened, you, wh- why my attention was drawn to it was in the FSA board minutes, they said um, that the petition panel had made one request, which was less, less data requests um, on stuff like the market studies, so they've done the asset management study, they're now doing the platform study, mm. and I, that just struck me as such a poor excuse, such a, a demand, these multi-million pound companies are worried they don't have the resources yeah. to put a little bit of data towards the SCA to help it regulate uh, the markets it, yeah. it covers uh, a lot a lot better. Um, and so I wanted to know exactly what was said and whether there was you know, was, was there a particular complaints or was it really just the fact that they, they just didn't want too much scrutiny? Yeah, yeah, leave um, us alone. The cynic in me suggested. Um, and we couldn't find that out. I think some of the comments on the story were s- suggesting, ah, oh, that's a non-story. And I can see that, I can see why people think that sometimes yeah. because they're not the ones who had to wait three months for this FOI and go through all that process. And it can get a bit sort of like, you know, I, I, I sometimes worry it can get a bit too much, oh, we're journalists that's what we do and we just make an outrage out of everything mm. but I do think people have the right to know how the FCA is making its policies uh, and, and as I wrote, why is it not talking more to consumers and why is it doing all this behind closed doors. Um, yeah, why isn't
0: there a, like a dinner with consumers? At yeah, the and maybe, maybe
1: there is and they do, they, the FCA has been good at engaging with people. They should be
2: taking Martin Lewis out for dinner, exactly, speaking to him about what consumers issues that yeah. they're facing
1: at the moment. Yeah, you know, and in particular, I just thought meeting in an 18th century mansion isn't the best image. I think. No. Ten years, years on from the it.
0: crash, it's still not a great.
1: Yeah, and it's behind closed doors, and I just uh, you know I wonder, um, and especially when you look as well, who was there? At SJP, I keep mentioning, um, but they are the biggest advice firm, uh, and as the results showed this week, they're growing 20% uh, every every quarter now. Uh, but it's also known as a company that's notoriously difficult when it comes to charges. Mm. Plenty of column inches in the national press goes towards this, let alone the trade press. Um, And then as well, a representative from Virgin Money was there, uh, which Mm. has one of the most expensive trackers out there, I think it's 1% a year, Mm. compared to the average, which is, as you'll know, much less. So I think there are a lot of questions there, and I don't feel like the regulator has really answered them for, for us, but also for advisors who um, are interested in having a set and want to have a say and want to know what's going on and who's making those decisions and who's helping inform those decisions that the regulator has taken.
0: Hmm. Do you think we'll ever get an answer out of them, or do you think the FCA will just... Uh, on the you're going to keep trying, yeah. Charles, right? I'll
1: keep going. I mean, I, I, my next FOI will probably be for what was on the menu that night, because I want to know. Mm. It's an important question. Whether it was
0: foie gras and gammon. Yeah. Or, it was, um, or maybe
1: they just did just go fish and chips supper. Yeah. This, or chicken uh, and sausages. Chicken and sausages, yeah. <laughs> chicken,
0: yeah, chicken and sausages. Chicken and sausages. Great stuff. Jack, you've been very, very patient sat there uh, across from Charles and I. Um, this week, you and Christine have had a look at uh, data on advisor fees. Um, for we piece have in the magazine. Yes. What did you find?
2: So we did a, a research um, survey of 54 advisors nice yeah. round number 54 um, and we asked them <coughs> about a portfolio a client who had a portfolio of 250,000 pounds in a sip on a platform and how much they charge um, as a percentage so if you charge they charged um, a, a flat fee they'd have to work it out as a percentage uh, and the results came in the average advice fee uh on, please, was 87 basis points from these 54 advisors. Mm-hmm. They range from 41, so it's a pretty low ongoing fee there, to 125 bips. Mm-hmm. So it's a couple of outliers. I think it was four firms who charged more than, 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 than 1%. Um, and as a total TER, um, probably not including transaction costs, um, the total uh, average out of the firms was 178 basis points, and that includes um, an average m- uh, fund management charge of 63 basis points, an average platform fee of 28 basis points. Um, so it was it was really interesting um, looking at the the splits and how they divided. Um, obviously, there was kind of a few patterns which emerged. Um, one of them was that often when the advisor would would um, have some cheap uh, or some less expensive fund management charge or platform charge. This would be kind of balanced out. Or if the the platform fee was higher, the, the advice fee tended to be lower. So that the in in the end, the TERs kind of tend to be fairly similar. But we did get quite big ranges within the fund management platform and the advice fees. Um, and and the piece we did in the mag uh, uh, this week essentially talked about this this average, the 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 87 basis points. Um, and what we found speaking to advisors was that we've seen a, a, a gradual increase mm. since RDR. So advisors generally um, said that pre-RDR, everyone was tending to charge about 50 basis points for ongoing advice. Mm. Um, and they would also, they would also charge um, about 75 basis points for fund management pre-RDR and 25 basis points for the wrap platform, so about 150 bips pre-RDR. Now we're on about 178 basis points for the um, total. And yeah, we're on this eighty-seven basis points figure since for ongoing advice. So we've seen advice fees kind of gradually tick up since mm-hmm. since um, since the since twenty thirteen. Um, so to the point where they're now nearing one one percent or one hundred basis points.
0: Mm. What does this mean for the accessibility of advice? Because of course the big question is the advice gap. We've had financial advice market review. Um, that seems to have disappointed many people in the policy lobbying space. Um, this can't be good news, surely. Well, for the it's, mass yeah.
2: I mean, it's, I think a lot of advisers out there will probably, be, you know, there's will probably have already realised that advice fees have kind of been tickling up the mm-hmm. last couple of years. Um, I think the issue essentially comes down to the fact that there, there are not enough advisers out there, Ollie, mm-hmm. um, and that dead to meet the, the growing demands since pension freedoms and since kind of the, the baby boomers are beginning to retire more and more. That mm-hmm. there's just not enough supply to meet that demand. So what we've got is, a few of our commentators in the piece alluded to the situation where, um, you know, people are constantly saying advice fees are going to come under more scrutiny. Mm-hmm. They're going to come under more pressure. You know, we've had the asset management study, we've had, having a platform study. The FCA is taking this huge interest in in what financial services firms are charging for for their services. So advice fees, advice fees are, are bound to come under this this spotlight. However, because of this supply demand dynamic where there's there's just not enough supply to meet demand, advice fees, they're, they're not really gonna come under any external pressure mm. from from the public. And if anything, they're gonna, we, people at um, Phil Young from 360 um, actually predicted they're gonna move higher in the next few months and, and years to come.
1: I thought there's, there's an interesting quote in the article um, where, uh, I can't remember who says it now, but they say the fact that the two most successful businesses in investments are basically Hargoos Lansdowne. Yeah, Mike Barrett, so Barrett yes, yeah, Hargoos Lansdowne and SJP, most successful businesses, they're also the most, expensive. the most expensive. They are. And, you know, they
2: are, they're, they're, it just shows you, well, in the case of SJP, you know, they that they people are, are prepared to pay that money for their advice, mm. you know. So, in, in a way, this whole argument about kind of accessibility of advice, and a lot of the time we, we and, you know, other journalists and, um, public figures say, you know, advice is, is quite expensive, so that's why people aren't getting advice. Um, but at the end of the day, you, know, look, you look at the biggest advice firm, is, the, is one of the most expensive out there, it's SJP. Yes. So, you know, is the question that people can, can they really afford advice? Well, you know, you've got these retiring baby boomers, people who are looking to take advantage of pension freedoms, perhaps have got DB pensions, you know, these people can afford to pay, pay these advice fees. The question is, is there's, there's just not enough advisors out there yeah. and, and then also the question is as those, uh, you know, as we get the next generation coming through, people like in their 30s and 40s now, they're less likely to be, to be willing to pay those advice fees and they're probably going to have less money in their pensions as well. Mm. Um, so you've got a situation whereby the advice, the advice gap is going get, to get worse and worse. Yeah.
0: If we around this table had 50p for every time that an advisor had a gripe about regulatory costs and increasing levies, um, we'd all have enough money to pay SJP advice fees. Um, to what extent is the sort of slow tick up in advice fees um, driven by all of these increases in yeah, levies? Yeah, it's, it's, you a, know, big regulatory
2: fa- costs. it's a big factor. You know, I mean, yeah, no, it's, you know, they, the one thing advisors hate more than anything is seeing FSES levies come out. And, you know, also to to a perhaps lesser extent, seeing FCA bills uh, bills at the end of the year as well. Mm. And also PI insurance premiums going up as well. So, you know, you've got a cocktail of of, um, of factors pushing advisor costs up there. I mean, I think it it kind of tells a story. So uh, last month, the the FCA announced, um, sorry, earlier this month, the FCA announced their their regulatory levies for advisors this year, and they were rising by four percent for 2018-19 mm-hmm. and in the article um, we spoke to Phil Young at Zero Support and he said that um, according to other research he'd seen that he the advice fees are accre- increasing by about four by percent each year mm-hmm. so you look at uh, the regulatory levy going up by four percent yeah. advice fees going up by four percent you know there, there is definitely a parallel there yeah. um, and you know a lot of these firms pay in percentages as well yeah. so you know if they've got if you, if you grow as an advice business, you get to a, a, a good size, a business with good revenues and good assets in the management, you're going to pay more to mm-hmm. the FSCS, you're going to pay more to the FCA, um, you possibly pay more to the, your PI insurer as well. Mm-hmm. So all the factors are trans, uh, transpiring here to to push advice fees up. Um, but I think that one thing the the article did say, and I think is, is fairly um, clear, is that while advice fees may be edging up each year, I think that there is this opportunity now. I think Mike Barrett from, from the Lancat said um, that, you know, they have the opportunity to squeeze platform and asset management fees. Um, they're the ones who can, you know, negotiate with platforms and, and really drive down costs of asset managers, fund managers and, and platforms. Because at the end of the day, you know, there there may be there are thousands of advisors out there um, doing, you know, what what you can't really scale. As a business, you know you're giving face-to-face advice to your clients um, in the village or from wherever. Whereas, if you're a platform, you've got a technology there that you can mm-hmm. scale to the mass market and you can deliver what you're delivering. You know there there is the opportunity to scale that business, mm-hmm. just like a fund manager. Fund manager, you know you can you can manage fifty billion or you can manage one billion or five hundred million. You know, and at the end of the day, they're the ones. There's 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 thousands of, of fund ma- funds out there. And you know, there is the opportunity to to kind of for advisors to squeeze those costs from fund managers and platforms, maybe to a lesser extent, more 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 so platform more so asset managers, I'd say. Um, so that might see we might see the and I think people in the in the article, Mike Barrett, also said that he thought the the the, the TER of around 178 bips would kind of plateau as it is. And you know, if advice fees gradually move up a bit more but, but fund management costs come down a bit more, then that could kind of see the, the, the total cost to client staying about the same. Great stuff. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Ollie.
0: And finally, Ian, our resident jet setter. I should use your proper title. You're UK Head of Audience Development. I quite City like y. resident
3: jet setter. You can use either.
0: Resident jet setter. You were at our Southwest Conference was indeed. Uh, last week. Um, what were the highlights and what came out that was notable?
3: The highlights, to be honest, the weather and the food... But um, jokes aside, we had, some, we had some great speakers there as well. Yeah, I'll get in trouble if I say that's actually the uh, the best thing. Um, for me, uh, all sorts of highlights. I particularly enjoyed hearing from Mark Stevenson, okay. who's spoken at several of our events before, an expert futurologist and uh, very much committed to creating a, a better future through the power of investments. Okay. And what I enjoyed about that is it really got our delegates thinking about how much, you know, what your money actually does. I think we've got an audience of engaged listeners that really care about the client, really care about the outcomes of what they do. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the thinking doesn't go beyond that kind of firm level or beyond that client level. And what I loved about what Mark have to, has to say is the money you invest does have a huge difference. You know, if you get 10 advisors in a room or 10 advice firms in a room, how many billions have you got yeah. under management sometimes? And, yeah. and what can that do? What is the power of that? So, that was a big takeaway, and actually, I think another thing which um, I alluded to in an article on our website, which is that sometimes it's the comedians that make the most poignant messages. Mm, and uh, yeah, yeah. for me, Joe Caulfield, who headlined our, our evening dinner, she she basically did some research on every single group sponsoring and also the groups in attending some of the some of the firms there, and in a very kind of in a friendly and humorous way, ribbed their you know their diversity strategies <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I have to admit, it was. She probably made as good a point as anyone else did at the entire conference. Mm. You know, I, I think the key thing is when you're referring to hiring women, of course, fifty percent of the population as a diversity move, then you're doing something a little bit wrong. Um, mm. and, and for me, that was a real, a real takeaway. Mm. Sounds and, like
0: she brought everyone down a notch a bit. Oh,
3: absolutely, absolutely, and and perhaps. In wealth management and financial advice audiences, <laughs> that, that might be a good thing, I don't know. Uh, of course, if you're listening to this, I think you're wonderful and handsome and brilliant, don't worry, but you know, sometimes a bit of humour is, is good. Uh, yeah, All sorts of other great messages. We had Guy Browning, who I won't dwell on too much, but, uh, but he's, he's also very good talking about creativity and innovation in business uh, and, and different ways of looking at things and, and breaking through corporate jargon, which I think everyone enjoys doing. And then finally, we had Mandy Hickson, who was the uh, one of the first female pilots to serve on a frontline Tornado GR4 squadron. And, and what was fascinating about her was not so much that she'd flown around in, in Iraq and done some things that I certainly wouldn't have the nerve to do, mm. um, and I think most people would have the nerve to do, but more importantly was that she'd failed her initial tests to get mm. into the RAF and mm. was taken on as a test case. You know, the idea when she was taken on was how far can someone who fails get before they inevitably failed the practical tests, and sure. she, she actually made the grade and I thought her story was fantastic. And, but again, her you know, humour, she really brought it to life, real character, real kind of larger than life character. Um, and I think you know something for everyone to take a bit of inspiration from, even if it doesn't necessarily relate to financial advice. So yeah, a fantastic two days in Chepstow and again, great weather and perhaps maybe the weather wasn't the best thing about it, but I, I certainly enjoyed the weather.
0: Excellent stuff. Ian, thank you so much.
3: Hey, no worries, Ollie. Appreciate it. Pleasure as always.
0: Well, the final thing to do is our weekly roundup of the best social media. Um, now, we did speak a little bit about Facebook earlier, and we all know that Facebook has been having its own troubles recently. So I have to say, I must admit, I chortled to see that Mark Paulson, who's principal of the Lancat, uh, aforementioned Lancat, had renamed his Twitter profile uh, to Lancat Analytica. Uh, Mark, I doff my cap to you. Um, I thought that was pretty, pretty funny. Um, On that note, uh, and on my bombshell, um, it's time for me to say that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast by searching for New Model Advisor on iTunes. And if you're feeling particularly generous, do leave us a nice review. Um, Thanks for listening and see you next week.